Good morning and welcome. I think most have come who are going to be here, and uh, I thank you for that. I'm trying to uh, juggle a lot of uh, technology here, so if it gets messed up, uh, forgive me. Um, this morning, before I start, I'm going to tell you, as I said this morning on the, on the stage, that the reason I'm presenting this form this morning is because of, a, of an experience that, that happened to me last year. And I was challenged, and I'm going to share that experience with you. And it was, frankly, life-changing. And it's something that I would not have suspected would, would have had that effect. Let me also say that when we talk about a subject like the Trinity, we realize that we're talking about an orthodox or a, a doctrine that, that's been around a long time. And we're going to learn a little bit about that well before the Apostolic Christian Church came into effect, but one that we have hardly embraced. Um, I have used a lot of outside resources, and that was a concern, frankly, to me in somewhat, and I just want to give you some disclaimer in the fact that the, the sources that I use, uh, this is not a general endorsement of those, sor those sources, but I do think on this topic they have a lot of insight, and so I just want to let you know that. And I spent a lot of time researching that information before I would present it. So with that, let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, truly it is a blessing to be here and we stand in awe of who you are as God. We pray, Lord, that thy spirit, who you've promised to us, would be present and that it would be evident in each one of our lives and that we would feel that even now. Despite thy servant, Lord, we pray that your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll let the few of you come in and get seated there. Do I have volume on this or not still? Okay, uh, I want to get started. I have a lot of slides to go. And just to give you a little bit of forewarning, there's going to be some video clips, and I'm going to go through a lot of slides, probably way too much. I always do that. So I may flip through some things, but you can get the presentation later. Also, just to let you know, uh, I'd like to sing a song before we leave here. I'm not going to have that much interaction just simply because you might ask me a question I can't answer. And second of all... Uh, talk about a cop out. Huh? Actually, you can, you're welcome to come ask me anything you, you'd like, uh, but I won't have a lot of time for it in this form. Uh, I'm not maybe as dedicated as Brother Doug who wants to have an afternoon for him. I want to go to his anyways. So anyways, just if you can stick around, we'll tr I'll try to get through it quickly. We're going to have a song at the end. 
I want to show this diagram out here. I, I wanted to make sure that you saw it. We're going to come back to it and, and talk about it. Because the early church, when they were trying to, dis, to, to define the Trinity, uh, came up with this diagram. And uh, I have down here apologetics, which is uh, from the Greek meaning to speak in defense. And I want to share a little bit how that happened to me. Uh, and I think that most of you have had this experience when two people stand at your door, and this was a Saturday morning. This is the reason I'm here. I heard that door knock, and that's not uncommon. Many of you have had that as well. And these two women came to my front, and, and they talked about their pamphlets and their gospel and, and wanted to share that with me. And, and I typically, when those people come, I, I talk to them and I say, well, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm honored that you would come here, but, uh, you know, I am a Christian, we, we have a church, and I have a, I'm a pastor, in fact, and, um, and I just want to let you know, I would have a little bit of a problem with your gospel because you deny the Trinity, and then they take back, and no, normally they, they kind of get a little bit taken back by that, and, and I go to, and I will show you uh, where I go to, and what verse of the Bible, and I will challenge them, and I will talk about that shortly. Most of the time when you do that, they leave, and they kind of get hesitant, and that's all you have to say. Not this particular Saturday morning. In fact, this one woman looked at me, and she says, well, uh, I can, that's just one verse. We can talk about a lot of different verses, and I said, well, first of all, I, I don't use your version of the Bible. I use the King James Version. And she said to me, well, we used to use that version too. I will debate you with the King James Version of the Bible. And I said, you will debate me on the Trinity with the King James Version of the Bible? And she said, yes. And I said, you're on. And then, of course, I was in my PJ. She said, doesn't look like you're ready to do that right now. And I said, no, I, you know, I appreciate that. And... Um, uh, and they left. And I thought, oh, Lord, what have I done here? Um, can I really debate this? Um, what am I going to say? And by the way, she was asking some other questions about what I believe. And I, I'm not sure I had the answers. And all of a sudden, it was kind of a panic uh, for me. I'm just sharing my thoughts. And uh, actually, they were supposed to come back in two weeks and... You're going to look at this picture and say what this is all about. But they were supposed to come back in two weeks. They didn't show. Ah, okay. Uh, they're not going to show. They're not going to get into the debate with me on this at all. And I had pretty much written it off. But I put a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of thought and prayer, of course, into all of that. So much so that I even made a presentation to our local church on what I had learned. Anyways, about three weeks later, I'm chasing a snake around my house. I, I just wanted to give you a real picture of it so you know. There is a snake right there. You may not see it. We have these snakes in Virginia, you know. And, it kind of, and, and I'm sitting there trying to chase this snake around, and all of a sudden I'm looking around for the thing, and, I, and all of a sudden I hear, we're back! <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, And it's like, oh no. And I look around, and there they are. And I'm going, oh, and, you know, a snake, and, the, you know, and I'm just putting this all together. 
Lord's really telling me something here. You know, this is, this is serious stuff, and um, I, I'm not making this up, okay? I, I just, that's the kind of person I am. I go through life, and things happen, and, you know, that's just what happened. And we're coming back, she said. Okay, we're coming back, and uh, I'm going to bring someone with me. And apparently one of their elders was going to come, so you know, I didn't tell them who I was or anything, but... Um, but, uh, you know, I knew I was going to be in for an interesting challenge. And my thought, as I've learned this, and you probably looked down and you saw the Trinity. <sighs> What's that going to be about? That doesn't apply to me, right? And then I thought about that. I want you to, sh- I want you to feel a little bit of the passion that I felt when I looked into this basic core doctrine. Is there a subject more important than the Trinity? Okay, how about the family and church? How many think that's an important topic today? Okay? Have you ever thought about the Trinity in our family? Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Father, Mother, Children. How about our church? Christ, Shepherd, Flock. I want to set those ideas early because when you understand the Trinity, you begin to understand that the way God is and who he is, he has his design implanted into us and to his creation and to his social structure and to everything he, he is and does. How about unity? Is that an important subject today? Certainly. I mean, I can tell you, as one that shepherds a, a flock and, and knows of many of the flocks that across our country, there is division. Should there be? We're going to look at that. Three separate entities, though, who Christ, who, who Christ and the Father, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost become one. It's a perfect example. Sexual purity, a more important topic than that. How about the Trinity as part of how the Holy Spirit can live within us? How about evangelism? What did Jesus say? I think it's in Matthew, is it Matthew 28, 20? Go out into all the world teaching what? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You are to go out and teach the Trinity. That's what he said. Okay. And, by the way, how many times have you struggled with that? Um, I want to go back to the unity thing. Um, I, I was very uh, close to Brother Late, Late Brother. It's just I, I almost stumbled to say that Brother Paul Weingartner, and it was a one Friday afternoon, and we were at the end of camp, and we were walking down the hallway, and you know we said hi to each other, and this is the end of camp, and he says to me, "Yeah, you know, a week's about right for camp. Two weeks we'd probably have a fight. Three weeks we'd probably have a split." <sighs> You know, he had, a, he had just an amazing way to tell, tell us the truth. And, of course, we're going to talk a little bit about the cults and, and the, uh, the fact that the Trinity is something they deny. And, and maybe not just the Jehovah's Witness, but a much greater enemy faces us. Oh, yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about end times. People who know me, um, I can't stay away from this subject, especially what's happening today. Trinity has anything to do with that? You bet. And oh, by the way, another experience, and I'm, I'm going to 
really run my time on. I'm going to watch this. But I, I just, again, life is experience for me. I took a, I took a job. I'm a, a software electrical type engineering guy. I work for a PhD in chemistry. And we typically talk. We build security systems for schools and getting a lot of attention here lately. And we were just talking about the problems of the violence that's going on in the school systems. And, of course, that's business for us. But why is that happening? And he sits there and he tells me, he says, you know, I really think the problem is all of these people who believe in this creation stuff, you know, Earth's only so many thousands of years old. And, and uh, these people have just corrupted us. And then these people that believe this three-in-one stuff, can you get over that? Now, mind you, I've been working on this form, okay? And I said, Lord, <laughs> I said, I'll tell you what. I have a different perspective of that. In fact, I think I would say a lot of the problems have because God has been taken out of our society, out of our schools, and out of who we are. And we got into debate, I won't get into as a scientist, empirical data, we challenged a little bit of the authenticity of creation in that debate. Uh, I had to ask about the science guy and Ken Ham and all that. But, but then he goes, um, I said, well, here, set the evidence aside. I can tell you, I, I, I live a life. I have children who have wonderful families, who live according to God's law, who have been successful, and, I, and I'm in a in a church where the statistics for all of these problems are much, much lower. To me, that's evidence. And he says to me, well, I can say that about my children, too. And I said, and I really believe the Lord led me on this because of what I would learn in the Trinity. I said, and you know why they are like that? They are like that because God made them that way. And that's what I want us to learn. We're going to hear an authoritarian, uh, apologetic, uh, Robbie Zacharias talk a little bit about this, but the fact that in every religion, you know, life comes before love. Love comes before life. Love existed from the very beginning, and love is what's in, in every one of us, whether you want to utilize that or not. And oh, by the way, I have a document that tells me that that's true. And then we got a little bit of the debate of that. And I, and I learned, and I said, there is no document more true than the Bible. And I will challenge you, over 2,700 manuscripts make this document authentic. And I mentioned the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then he basically just pushed away his chair and said, okay, you need to talk to somebody else that knows more about this subject. And I'm not here to arm you, okay? We're not here to be ones who go out and attack. But we are here to defend the truth, and we need to know what we're talking about. And, and that's what motivated. I, I don't make this up. This happens. Um, I can't say that enough. Okay. By the way, it's in our We Believe. And if you haven't gotten a new version of this, you should. I don't know if it was the last time you looked at page one on the We Believe. But let me read about this, because this is what we believe. We, we have this in our doctrine. We believe. In one almighty God, the eternal spirit, who is complete in holiness, love, righteousness, truth, 
power, goodness, and mercy. Deuteronomy 6. We'll look at that verse. Uh, 2 Corinthians, we'll look at that verse. God exists and reveals himself in three persons as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Matthew 28. These are equal in their divine perfection, though distinct in manifestation. Manifestation, the way they make themselves known. And execute distinct but harmonious offices in a great work of redemption. So in our very first article of our statement of faith, it is a core piece of what we believe. We sing this. Uh, again, I'm, as I'm studying this and getting ready for it, this, we happen to sing this Zion's Harp in Church. I'm sure you all know. Now thank we all our God. All praise, verse 3. All praise be unto God in realms that saints inherit, to Father and the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, the blessed Trinity, whom earth and heaven adore, the God who was, is now, and shall be evermore. So it's in our doctrine. It's in our songbooks. It should be in our life. And that's the question, is it? So what are some of the challenges that I had with these these uh, women who came to my door and otherwise. You, you hear these kind of questions and, you, and sometimes they can challenge us. Um, okay, if the three really are one, if they're all the same, then how does, it, how does Jesus say my father is greater than I? Last night we heard in the message, uh, Brother David talked about the Lord's return. Only the father in heaven knows. Wait a minute, how can that be? if they're all one. Um, the Holy Spirit, and I'm not sure I understand this one, but it's there. Uh, the, uh, many of the cults use this to say, that how can you, there be a three distinct person when there's no name to this person? And we'll take a look at that. And then, this is the challenge that, you, that I was challenged with, and I, when I first looked at the verse, I wasn't sure. Jesus was the firstborn of creation. Really? Okay. Let's take a look at that. And then you hear words like Trinity's not in the Bible. I kind of, you know, I'm an end times kind of person, and they used to say that about rapture's not in the Bible too. And I go, well, the Trinity's not in the Bible either, you know. (laughs) So I throw my little jabs in there. But, but, and it's not. We're going to take a look though. You all believe that, but where did it come from? Okay. And, oh, by the way, there is no way you can have this multiplicity of, of gods and, and, and be polytheistic in that, in that you have a belief in many gods. So how, how do you start to address these kind of questions? And I think that I'm hoping that we can leave this place with a few basic answers. I don't try to make you apologists or theologians or anything, because I'm not. Uh, but there are some things I think we need to my volume up for the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts okay most of you know this verse for for my ways and this is a quote i want to uh, kenneth bow had this quote it follows from all this that we cannot and should not expect to understand the bible exhaustively if we could the bible would be divine but limited to our human intelligence so there are some things there's, there's, this, there's this, always this challenge to accept God who he is. We want to try to put him in, in our own minds. And as I started this debate, I saw the struggle. 
I saw the struggle that they could not let go, that God is God, and we can't totally grasp all of this. So Trinity is not in the Bible, um, but there is no question in the New Testament. It clearly teaches what the Old Testament uh, intimates. Jesus is God, the, is God, the Son, who from eternity was God with the Father. We're going to look at John 1, and that the Holy Spirit is a person of the same kind. So, here's some things to learn. And... Mark these verses down, especially the second one I'm going to give here. Is the Trinity proclaimed together in the scripture? Sure. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Remember this verse, okay? You, you know John 3.16? You know that one. Matthew 3.16. This is, this is where they're all three together, okay? It's a good verse to know about the Trinity. There are others, and we'll talk about them. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Okay, some more topics. Um, I found this one by A.W. Tozer, and, and I really thought it, it was beneficial. Uh, a popular belief among Christians divides the work of God between the three persons, giving a specific part to each, creation to the Father, redemption to the Son, and regeneration to the Holy Spirit. And when I looked at that, I thought, you know, that's how, how I would see. And we're going to understand that when we, even we go back to our statement of faith about the different manifestations, the different ways that God makes himself evident, uh, that really describes it quite well. But I like this second part as well. This is partly true, but not wholly so, for God cannot divide himself so that one person works while the other is inactive. In the scriptures, the three persons are shown to act in harmonious unity in all the mighty works that are wrought throughout the universe. And that's well said, too. So again, part of this fact, God is so unique in how he works. I'm going to play a, a clip. Robbie Zacharias addressing a young college guy. Some of this is going to seem a little bit intellectual, but we're, it, it is the core part of what I'm going to there's a lot in what, what is said here. Please try to listen, and we'll talk about it. My question is about the law of non-contradiction. Uh, my problem is that I like the law of non-contradiction, and I don't like the law of non-contradiction. Um, <laughs> uh, with Christianity, I think that we run the possibility of showing favoritism, at least in the presentation that I feel like I heard, because the problem with Hinduism is that in its core, it violates the law of non-contradiction. Uh, for Christianity, what is more in the core of Christianity than its doctrine of God? 
and in our doctrine of God, what is more in the core of our doctrine of God than the Trinity that God is both one and three. And I wonder if I'm showing favoritism in accepting violations of the law of no contradiction. Okay, fair enough. I think obviously if you, um, if you are looking at that which is systemically contradictory and then the doctrines of each faith, you raise, you raise a legitimate question. The doctrine of the Trinity, which it talks about uh, you know, one, uh, one being and yet three persons in the Godhead. So let me try and illustrate this as best as I can because this I think is, uh, that this touches the nerve of the heart and the heart of what the Christian faith is all about. C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, talks precisely about this analogical uh, comparison between God and human beings. And he says, if you take a dimension in life and add a second dimension to it, then a third dimension to it, he said, with each added dimension, you have greater capacity and greater, uh, greater possibilities of, of uh, that which can be actualized. If you take one dimension, you get a straight line. You take two dimensions, you get a figure. You take a third dimension, you can get objects. And he said, when you break these dimension da dimensions down, the fundamental components remain the same, but the accretion of those components give you greater possibilities. So when you've got a finite being, and a, and, a, and a contingent being, and a limited being, but you've got one dimension in which you're describing the very nature of being. You add to that now the possibility of an infinite being, an uncaused being, and, a, and, 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 and a being that is non-dependent. You get the possibility of a, of, an, of, a, of a being with greater complexity. And the illustration I like to give to you is this. It is not even so much that you start from the end nature of God and come down here. You start from where we are to understand what this might be. Fishermen knew there was a difference between one and three. Paul the rabbi knew there was a difference between one and three. Luke the physician knew there was a difference between one and three. These are not kind of airheads floating around trying to posit a new kind of a concept to just pre to, to give a mathematical incongruity here. What they are talking about is that in the complexity of the very being of God, there is an I-you relationship within the Godhead. Now, to go from where we are to where God is, I think it is critical we, we follow this kind of reasoning here. It is this. The greatest search for philosophy of all time has been the search for unity and diversity. The greatest search has been for unity and diversity. The early Greek philosophers were looking at it, and then out comes somebody with four unities, earth, air, water, and fire. So his student comes on the scene and says, wait a minute, those are four, not one. So we coined the word quintessence. What is the fifth essence that unites these four essences? The word university, to find unity in diversity. On every American coin, e pluribus unum. Out of the multiplicity, you find one. Now, how do we explain unity and diversity in the effect, which is what this world is? You and I are part of the effect. We've got unity and diversity in the effect of this universe. The only way to explain unity and diversity in the effect is if you've got unity and diversity in the first cause, and only in the Trinity is there unity and diversity in the community of the Trinity. If you do not grant that, 
you actually have even a bigger problem to deal with. For example, in the Islamic concept of God, which is a monadic concept of Allah, and they, of course, repeatedly throw against the Christian this attitude that we've got a plurality of gods, we've got a plurality of gods. That is not so. The Lord your God is one. In the complexity of the Trinity, there is an I, you, and a relationship in the Godhead himself. If you've got a monadic concept of God apart from the Trinity, then you end up with another philosophical problem. If God ever says he loves, who was he loving before the creation? If God says he speaks, who was he speaking to before the creation? So communication and affection or love is contained in the Godhead right from the beginning. Where God speaks in the community of the Trinity, where God loves in the Christian faith only does love precede life. In every other faith, life precedes love. So we end up defining love on our terms. There is no referent against for it. But if you see the love expressed within the concept of the Trinity, and God's, Jesus' prayer was that you and I may be one, even as he and the Father are one. All I will say to you is Mortimer Adler, the great Jewish philosopher who was a latecomer to Christ, said, there will have to be majesty and mystery in God himself. And he says, to me, the mystery of the Trinity is a revelation of how God is complete in himself, in one being, the three persons as they relate in love and in language. And I'll, I will tell you that um, the reason I felt so convicted to share this is because uh, as I debated, uh, these individuals came into my house and the one woman came back and the, I, I perceived their elders came back with me and I went through a similar part of the first part of this presentation and then I showed this segment. And his jaw dropped. And he looked over to me and he said, I think I see what he's saying. And then he looked over to her and he said, do you have any more questions? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that uh, I could see her in her eyes. It's like, why did I bring you? But uh, no, there is a lot of depth here. And, and I want to make sure we understand it here. And so let's talk some of, some of it, um, what he's saying about the dimensions, you, you know, how you get greater perspective with dimensions. And I think when you talk about 3D, I have some 3D animation here, but I'll have to break out of this to, to show you. But you get the idea of 3D perspectives and what they add. And, 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 and of course, this is who God is, to give that perspective. When we talk about the universe, and this is, to me, I'm trying, trying to implant here that God, in who he is, put his Trinity design implanted into who we are, or what we are, and everything we, it's around us, uh, the universe. And, you know, when he talked about a, a mathematical incongruity, you know, which is basically, you know, how can one plus one plus one equal one? Well, you know, one times one times one equals one, right? And time, matter, space is, is a way that the universe is often uh, characteristic, characteristically put. Um, this is, uh, when I start looking at triangles, just the fact, the mathematical aspects of triangles, I don't know why I picked this one, Pascal's triangle, if you, uh, basically, it's, it's an interesting, if you start with ones on both sides of the triangle, and to build the triangle, start with the one at the top, then continue placing numbers below in a tri triangular pattern. 
the number above it will, like in what's shown in green there, 4 is 3 plus 1. You get 6 is 3 plus 3. And this mathematical concept, and if you get into uh, integration and the mathematical integration concepts, and, and there's something about the 3 that I think is, you know, you can say it's just coincidence. I don't think so. I don't think it is. And defining in, in God's, and of course the important one is if you were a, a triangle, you'd be a cute one. I'm sorry, I, just, I saw that one. I, yeah, okay, I mean, I had to get you awake somewhere in this, right? But how about colors, you know? Uh, the, the prime colors, red, green, blue, and then the mixture of those colors, you have different colors. And, you know, those who use computer programs now have that all the time. You can choose any color you want, but it's a mixture of these three. And you say, yeah, what are you trying to say? And I'm trying to say God is telling you on a daily basis who he is. And we know that he has done that purposely because we have an example of a rainbow, just as one example. I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. This is something God does and has done, and it is significant. Three in the scripture, I think, is important. Three is 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 a sacred scripture, um, sacred in the scripture. The number three represents that which is solid, real, substantial, something that is in its completeness. You think about the Trinity. Um, it also uh, usually indicates something of importance or significance in, in God's plan of salvation by identifying an important event in salvation history. The number operates as a signpost in scripture study for the reader to pay attention. Are we paying attention to this? And you start to look at the threes in the Bible, and I'll go through these kind of quick, but in the Old Testament, we know um, the earth was separated from the waters on the third day. Uh, there were three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, the three times in the song that you've been hearing most of the time, holy, 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 is, is sung. Why holy, holy, holy? Abraham was commanded to a sacrifice of his son after a three-day journey. Uh, baby Moses was hidden for three months. Jonah spent three days in the belly of a whale. I don't think these are just days that God suddenly decided I'll, I'll use. There's the significance. When I think of Jonas, Jesus said, I give you, and they, uh, an adulterous and wicked generation seeks after a sign. The only sign I give you is the sign of Jonas. What was that? The three days. How about Jesus' ministry? Three years. Mary stayed with Elizabeth three months. Jesus was missing for three days when he was 12. Jesus arose from the dead on the third day. Saul was blinded for three days. The heavenly Jerusalem has three gates on each of its four sides. And, you know, we blessed to be there and see that. Um, the Muslims kind of have them cemented over. They think they don't want the Antichrist to come, or the Christ to return there. And it's interesting how they perceive, even they believe, Something's going to happen in the end. But what does this really mean? As, as Robbie was saying, um, we don't believe in three gods. They are distinct in the way they work. But the authors of the Old Testament scriptures made sure, and we know that the very first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And when you look at this particular chapter, this is, of course, written in Hebrew, and you see that the Elohim, was the, the term used here, actually has a plural usage. And 
God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Notice so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Our. Let's make man in our image. Let us. And you see these used throughout the scripture. Um, when I was talking to my boss there, you know, and, I, and it just came to me that, you know, the reason his daughters can be the way they are and that each one of us inside of us have this natural instinct to want to love, it comes from in, inside as part of who God created. I, I like to use this, but I have, and I will, I will share why. Because I do think in nature you say, how, how can you begin to explain, how can three be, be one? And I think in a, in a physics sense, this does make some sense. You have water that can be used three different ways. Water can be steam, can be ice. Um, and it sometimes can help explain. However, I, I say that with caution because if you start to study this in the early church, uh, they did not like this example because they, there was a term called modalism, which means that God was just one who showed himself three different ways. And that's not what this is meant to be. Uh, so you have to be, be aware of that. When you start to look at the, the, the early church, and we're going to talk briefly about this, and I'm certainly not an early church historian or anything, but they struggled with this. They struggled with it, and I, I want to share a little bit of why they struggled with it. You know, how do, they, how do you define this? Um, the, the modalism was kind of like a role player. And, you know, we can talk about, like me, you know, um, I'm, I'm a grandpa, I'm a father, uh, you know, until my mother, I was a son, you know. Um, but that's not, and, and they fit that in the early church. There is a thinking today, and in our Pentecostal friends, who, who have this view, and that's why I mentioned it. There were many others as they tried to explain this, but this one still, still has and goes on, okay? The problem you have with that, right? Matthew, what? 3.16, okay, three separate entities, how can the redemption work be done? How did Christ separate himself from the redemptive work from God? You run into problems with that. The early church was smart enough to know that that didn't work. This is another verse. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood and these three agree in one. Okay, another evident verse. I will tell you, as I started to de de debate what, what I wanted verses that I, I know clearly identified the Trinity. And when I went to the NIV, it wasn't there here. Just a warning. Okay, we're going to look a little, little bit of the specifics on what goes on. But... Basically, Unitarian and cult efforts to strip Jesus of his deity, uh, deity they, go to, they go to John 1. I'm going to show that. But when you look at, look at John 1, you see that there's this hint of the Trinity, just looking at the Trinity. Because the word Jesus was God, verse 1, 
and was with God, verse 2, indicating there were Godheads and they consisted more, of one, more than one person. And we'll take a little bit of a look at this. Um, of course, these are your key verses. This is where I usually go with anyone who's... And I feel, you know, I, I'm not here to try to equip you to go out and you know, attack Jehovah's Witnesses or, or try to engage with them, that, or Mormons, or anyone like that. But, but I want you to know at least these basic verses because you, you, know, you may be presented with that. Because they have, most of them will have a, they can't get around these. They cannot get around these verses. In John 1, okay. The Gospel according to John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, and I want to make you aware that, especially on the Jehovah's Witness, and you can get on their, their website and you can bring up their Bible, and I want to, and I did that, because I knew I was going to be debating, and you can take a look here what they have changed, and the word was a God. And it's not even capitalized there, which is very interesting. Um, how they changed that. And, of course, you know, the questions that, that I have, two of them, you, you know, t other verses that we, we may not get to cover all of these, but Thomas, who, who was a devoted, devoted a Jewish man, you have to remember these are individuals who were very, very much like Deuteronomy, the Lord our God is one God, told and proclaimed to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Also, you know, the Jehovah's Witness in particular I mean, the challenge is, is they're the only translation that makes John 1, 1, a God, in small. And, and oh, by the way, when you do that, how many gods do you have? So uh, there are a lot of holes in what they're trying to say. John 1, 1 is a really key part of uh, contradicting what they say. And then maybe the last is the simple question, who? Why was Christ put on the cross? And we can read that in John 10, 33. The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because thou makest, us, makest that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Okay, so Trinity is not in the Bible. Where did it come from? Um, it, it came officially in the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., uh, it was uh, actually Tertullian is, is one who really fought for the Trinity concept much earlier than that. But it's interesting that it came about because there were challenges to this doctrine in the Gnostic form, the Gnostic teaching, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But it, it impressed me as I started to study this because I, most of you know I wasn't grown in the Apostolic Christian Church. I came from an Episcopal background. And we had lots of stained glass windows. And it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be uncommon for me to see uh, a, a stained glass window like this. And, and I never thought twice about it. What is this? And then I began to realize that the early church took this threat so seriously that it represented this. It represented the fact that God is the Father. God is the Son. And God is the Holy Spirit, but that the Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father, and the Father is not the Son. That's how they represented it, even to the point of implanting it on their windows. 
This was a truth that they wanted to make sure that everyone understood. So, the Gnostic teaching, there were a lot of uh, teachings that were canon. We can be thankful that, that there, was, there were men who looked at the authenticity of the scriptures that we have today. And I'm not even going to touch that. And just my brief exposure to it, that they, that they were willing to stand for the truth, that they, they could start to challenge those who, whose writings were not divinely inspired, and they knew it. So, let's get to the really core of this, and this is probably one of the most important things. Why? Why would God, and I can't begin to understand why, as we said, but uh, in, in most formularies, the doctrine is stated by saying that God is one in his essential being, but that in his being there are three persons, yet so as not to form three distinct individuals. Otherwise, we'd have three gods. They are three modes or forms in which the divine essence exists. How? Equality and dignity. This is a little bit what Robbie was saying. The fact that, that, that in nature, the three honor and, and there's dignity. The dignity is the, the right to be valued. They're all valued the same. The fatherhood belongs to the very essence of the first person and it was so from all eternity. It is a personal property of God from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. You can find that in Ephesians 3.15. Uh, in fact, it's in part of this. And I like this verse, and I won't read it all. Uh, Ephesians 3.14-17, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, and further on, might by his Spirit. <clears throat> this is key. Because when you get challenged about how can the Father say, how can the Son say the Father is greater than I? How can we have only the Father knowing when the Son comes? The fact that we can understand that there is a certain degree of subordination involved. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And that's the way they're always referenced. But even though there's, and, and in the functions ascribed to each of the Godhead, especially in redemption, it's, it's clear that there's a certain degree. In relation, though, not nature. In relation. Uh, and... and this, this is a concept that, uh, you know, I'm not sure I can, We tend to want to put, we look at that and say that means that there's a hierarchy. No, it doesn't. It's, it's, and, and when you think about the family, the husband, the wife, the children, is there one that's really above the other? Or is there a level of organization there that, that is implanted into us? Or how about the church, you know? Christ, the head of the church, and then the shepherd, the pastor, and then the flock, you know, is one really should be elevated? Well, not, not really, you know, other than Christ in the, in the case of the church, but, but that we all ha have that working together in unity. And there's, so there's this, there's this degree of subordination, but only in um, position. Um, and, and I've mentioned some of these verses about the Father greater than I, um, the, the term greater refers to position, not nature. And, and that is just something we have to come and understand. And there are verses that indicate But we see that. Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. John 14, Ye have heard how I said unto you, 
I go away, and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father. For my Father is greater than I. But at the same time, when we have those verses, it was incumbent upon the, the gospel writers to also talk about the... Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but it made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I like that last part. And any time you see a differentiation and manifestation, you always see in glory to the honor and the Father. There's this, again, equality in, in nature and dignity. And in the early church, it was interesting that they, they showed, the early church, the Son is begotten and the Spirit proceedeth from the Father. Uh, we can talk about this verse a little As bit. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Okay, and it, the verses go on. Uh, many, many times you've read these verses, right? And, and it, it doesn't, uh, maybe it didn't sink into you. Uh, and it's my hope that you'll look differently every time you read one of these verses. But interesting in Isaiah, the prophecy, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Just think about that, okay? A child is born, a son wasn't born, but he was given. Okay, and of course God with us in, in Isaiah. Um, just evidences. And of course Christ made himself in the flesh. And there are many verses that we could go through and talk about. Uh, make no mistake, Timoth Timothy 3.16 that talks about God was manifest in the flesh. Here's a verse that you can get a challenge from. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Okay, and the, the, the challenge that I got on this was, this means that Christ was created by God uh, because he was the firstborn of every creature. Uh, uh, every creature. And the key point is to look down at verse 18 and see how firstborn is used the firstborn from the dead, and that all things he might have preeminence. He is over all creation. That's what the word firstborn there is used, not the beginning of creation. Okay, so um, 
Again, you will get challenged to that, and I, as I started to study this, most of them will not go to verse 18 in that same chapter and look at the usage of that word. I'm going to skip because of time some of these. Um, the Holy Spirit is rec- recognized as God, and I think there's many verses we can read about that, and probably the most obvious to me is in Acts, and I think I have that one here when we know about uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Acts 5. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Okay. Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. A clear reference that the Holy Spirit is God. Um, And then the key... And I think we have a form on the Holy Spirit, so I won't dwell a whole lot on that. But when you talk about the attributes of the Holy Spirit, a one who searches all things, who has, you know, omniscience. Uh, when you when you talk about the the Comforter, uh, howbeit he shall speak and glorify me again. Um, he he, even though he's not given a name, we know that he can be lied to. He can be he grieves, and so he takes on all of these personal attributes as as distinct. God, um, born of the water and of the Spirit in John 3. Uh, and again, this is a, an important verse in Titus, not the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So you see this different manifestation or this different use of the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the fact that he, can, the, the t- he dwells within us and he's omnipresent. And, of course, the Spirit of our God mentioned here in 1 Corinthians 6.11. And, um, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit, the Spirit of our God. One of the things that we learned, and I felt compelled to use this about in the Truth Project when we looked at this in this particular section about the Trinity and how it relates to God and man and the intimacy between that. This, this was convicting to me. It really was. And this is why I feel important to, to bring this to your attention. This is a promise that Jesus And I will gave. pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Okay. He shall be in you. What does that really mean? I'll I'll tell you, I I saw this little section I'm going to play that, again, it convicted me. Do you understand the profound mystery of what it means for a man and a woman to come together and to somehow become one flesh? No. 
Do you understand what it means when, when the scripture says that that's also referring to Christ and the church and there's this oneness, this unity occurs? I don't understand this. But let me tell you, there is nothing that astounds me more. It is astounding to me to think that God would speak and all of creation would come into existence. That's astounding. And it's astounding to think that the God of the universe would somehow reveal himself to us in his word that he would move in the hearts and the minds and the, and the mouth and the, and the pen of man and to actually write his message to us, the very word of God. That's astounding to me. And it's astounding that God would actually become a man, that we might be redeemed. He is the only sacrifice that was sufficient to redeem us. It was the only way. And it's astounding to me the fact that he did, that he became a man. It's astounding to me that he died. It's astounding to me that he rose from the dead. But you know what is more astounding to me than all of those things? And I'm not belittling. I'm saying they are infinitely astounding. But you know what's more astounding to me? Is this. I will ask the Father, Jesus said, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. Remember, we talked about the Holy Spirit called the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The God of the universe dwells within me. And that's not just a piece of him. It's, just, it's not a photograph. It's not an icon. It's not some little wispy thing that comes here and there. That's what's so amazing about this. You can't divide the infinite God up into little pieces. Jason. Yes, sir. Mathematically. If you divide infinity by three, what do you get? Infinity. Infinity. I love that. Mathematics is just so cool. What if you divide infinity by 36? What do you get? Infinity. Infinity. That is why the infinite God dwells within you, Joshua. Not a piece of him. Not a part of him. Not some little fraction. Do you understand this? No. (laughs) Do you believe it? Yep. But do we believe it's really real? But do we, do we believe it's really real? Do you understand what he's saying here? I mean, when I, when I thought about this, I, I started to ask, ask myself about how I'm living my life. The God of the universe, it's capable because who he is, he can be a part of, and we're, invited into that and this is how we are invited through the holy spirit the trinity and the fact that christ father and man has that holy spirit and that ties us and invites us into that and we we have the verses that that substantiate that second peter whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye may be partakers 
of the divine nature. Uh, and later in John, and ye in me, and I in you. Does that really resonate with you? Does that mean anything to you? Can we live the life we're living and that be true? And how about society? Father, mother, child. When we start to mess with God's design, we run into problems. We're starting to see that in society. I happen to see this. Um, you know, a, a young guy, I have two moms and life is great. Really? Okay. Um, there are going to be problems, and we know that there's going to be problems. This is not part of God's design. And how about the church? I mean, we've got a problem. And I, and I want to challenge us. And I'm not saying, don't leave this place saying that we, we don't have times of division, that, that sin must separate us. But if we are who we are, and if God has dwelt within us, and if love is a part of his creation and diversity and unity is a part of who he is, then what are we doing as a church? These are challenging questions that should be provoking us to live in the spirit and to be unified because that is even what's on our money. But is it our hearts? Uh, again, more verses, and I could go and verse and read verse after verse that they all may be one, one in us, and that they may be one even as we are one. We, that Trinity, that's the, that's the message that's being given. And then what does it mean to you? I mean, you, I happen to see this. Is that, again, I was doing this Trinity, and then you see the you hear about the baker who decided that he wasn't going to make a cake for a gay wedding. Had to close shop. And, and these words caught my eye. His reaction to ongoing attacks, my eternal home is what matters. And I could have put the taxi cab driver and the photographer. And we're being challenged with this in our society because we live in a society that wants to take all of that away. And so, but the thing to understand is that Gnosticism has returned. Uh, the Da Vinci Code. How many have heard of the Da Vinci Code? Right? Dan Brown. All of these things. Oh, certainly you can trust the resources of a National Geographic. You heard the things about the Gnostic Bible, but here you go on National Geographic. We've got the Gospel of Judas. That is Gnostic teaching. Early church dealt with that. It wasn't part of our canon. They understood the importance, why it wasn't. But yet, we're being enticed to understand it more. And, oh, the History Channel, by the way, you can go buy all of the banned books in the Bible. Really? Not canon, okay? These are enticing. And, uh, you know, as I sat with my boss that one day, you know, you ought to read the Gospel of Judas. <laughs> you, know, you ought to read the. You know, I think, I think uh, Jesus and, and Mary had this relationship. Where did that come from? It comes from this kind of teaching, and the early church had to deal with it as well. How about in our entertainment industry? Um, you know, I have to admit, I, I watched a little bit of this at one time, and there was something that just didn't settle right with me. Um, besides the bullets were flying everywhere, but uh, the, the theme that the Matrix 
uh, and the Matrix Reloaded. These are high-tech films that we all get entrenched in. Our young people can get entrenched with all this. It's really cool stuff. But this, you know, this is a human perception that reality is in some illusionary because it's based on habitual choices people continue to make due to their human nature. Um, and this is Gnostic teaching, okay? And it's filtrated its way in. All right. Um, I, I want to, I know time is starting to run out, but I, I got to have an end time part of this, right? And what always, as I was doing an end time presentation in Richmond, I, I came across, and Brother Vic Slaughter, I'm going to share another clip from a, a, a PLO terrorist who, who was converted Christian, and, and, and Brother Vic and I have been talking about him a little bit, but uh, the fact that Satan himself tries to duplicate God's trinity, and we read that in Revelations. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth, and of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. My name is Walid Shuibat. I was born as a Muslim who desired the destruction of God's people. In trying to disprove the God of the Bible, I actually found Him. Now I have dedicated my life to revealing the truth about Islam through books, radio, television, and the internet. In this series, we will discuss biblical end times prophecy and what the God of the Bible has to say about the very days we are living in now. We meet at a time of great tension between the United States and Muslims around the world. The relationship between Islam and the West includes centuries of coexistence and cooperation, but also conflict and religious wars. I've come here to Cairo to seek a new beginning. The United States will never be at war with Islam. Name me one that is not Muslim. In every single context, where Christ is on earth fighting. He's fighting a Muslim country. Does the Bible predict such a cataclysmic event with so many Muslim nations? The answer is absolutely yes. He will not have the same names as Christ, yet he will claim just enough Messiah-like attributes to form an effective camouflage to deceive the nations of the earth. As we examine the attributes of Allah and his Messiah figure, the Mahdi in this case, we will see that they perfectly match what the Bible has warned us of. Doctrinally, Islam and the Antichrist spirit are in perfect agreement because both deny the Trinity. Okay, just for sake of time, both deny the Trinity. So, you know, here we, here we see the Trinity effect uh, brought into even our world climatic situation here. Um, 
and all of you know, uh, since that 2008 new beginning, uh, pretty much where we are today, even now as we speak, I could bring up news websites right now. There is cataclysmic, as was said, events that are happening. And it's a threat. And it's coming from Satan himself in the world, in our lives, personally, in our families, in our churches, and will culminate in the end. It's something we need to be aware of. It's something I challenge all of you to look at more seriously. And uh, in closing, I thought if we could, um, the bottom message, know your doctrine, stand for the truth, and Revelations 22, and behold, as we heard this last night, I come quickly. That's the reason. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, and the last.